Hi, this is Matthew Boyd, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. You're on the Road to Detroit, the podcast. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. And another one, episode 11. Welcome back. It's the Road to Detroit podcast. Glad to have you along with us for another edition of the RTD, post-trade deadline edition. We've got a lot to talk about because the Tigers just welcomed in a number of new players into their minor league system. So obviously we'll go over what the Tigers have done at the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Shane Green and Nicholas Castellanos both on the move in trades to the Atlanta Braves and Chicago Cubs respectively. We'll talk to Anthony Fennick of the Detroit Free Press, get his take on the deals, what the Tigers were looking for, if they got what they wanted, We'll also talk to Tarek Skubal, Tigers' ninth-round pick in last year's draft out of Seattle, and all he's done is become one of the best prospects in the Tiger system. Number four by MLB Pipeline, the lefty has racked up strikeout after strikeout this season. He has been tremendous. And, you know, the Tigers already had a really nice stable of pitching prospects. Well, they've really added to that here at the deadline by getting three more arms that will presumably slot into their top 30 prospects. So we'll talk a lot about that. Tarek Skubal, Anthony Fedink, it's all on the way here on this edition of The Road to Detroit. For now, let's hit the on-ramp. We'll start with Connecticut, and why wouldn't we? The Connecticut Tigers did something that took us all by surprise. Corey Behenna on the rubber. Looks in to get the sign from Alfonso, likes what he sees and sets. He fires the 2-2. In there for a call third strike. The Connecticut Tigers have no hit the Tri-City Valley Cats. Corey Bahena finishes off the deal for Connecticut and the Tigers mobbing Bahena on the mound. Elijah Gonzalez on the Connecticut Tigers radio network. Four pitchers combined for a no-hitter. Congratulations, Jack O'Laughlin, Michael Beeline, Kyle Thomas, and Corey Behenna. All four of those combined to no-hit Tri-City in a game last week. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if you're in Major League Baseball or the New York Penn League. A no-hitter is a no-hitter is a no-hitter. That is very cool. Congratulations to something that I know all four of those guys We'll remember for a very long time. As for Riley Green, five more hits for Riley Green this week. He scored a run. Bats cooled off a little bit, 250 in his last 10 games, 10 strikeouts to three walks, but he's just a hot streak away at this point. To me, ending up in a place maybe even as far as West Michigan before season's end. Speaking of West Michigan, the Whitecaps won two of six games in their homestand before they went on the road. Parker Meadows is starting to perk up a little bit. A six-game hitting streak, four RBIs, hit his seventh home run of the year in one of the series against Great Lakes, a Dodgers minor league affiliate. He's improved his average almost 50 points since the month of May. Meanwhile, some of the newbies, the 2019 draft class, Cooper Johnson, a sixth-round pick out of Ole Miss. He's hitting 257 at the plate, but a 382 on-base percentage since he was promoted to West Michigan. Four hits, three RBIs at his first pro home run this past week, but the defense is really the calling card for Cooper Johnson. He was considered the best high school defensive catcher coming out of the draft back in 2016. Reds ended up taking him, did not sign, but then he went to Ole Miss and really started to find his groove, especially at the plate, and now he's a much more refined product on the offensive side than he was when he was looking at going pro a couple of seasons ago. But it certainly is his defensive ability that sets him apart. As for Lakeland, they lost 
lost two of three against Florida. Then they won two out of four, split a series on the road against Fort Myers. Dylan Rosa continues to hit the baseball. Boy, it feels like every week we're talking about what Dylan Rosa's up to. He recorded eight hits, five runs batted in, and home runs in three straight games. Off to Erie. The Seawolves took three of four at Altoona before winning four out of five at home against the Trenton Thunder. The pitching staff, really top to bottom, was exceptional. Logan Shore, five scoreless innings. Anthony Castro, five and two-thirds of one-run ball. Casey Mai, six innings of one-run ball. Alex Fiedo, two runs in six innings, seven strikeouts. Matt Manning, seven scoreless. Kyle Funkhauser, six innings, one run, ten strikeouts. Really, top to bottom, everybody who made a start for Erie was on point. Jose Azokar, ten base hits, six runs batted in this past week. Also hit a pair of home runs for the first time in a professional game. So congratulations to Jose Azokar, who's starting to see a little more power as he gets a little older. He has really never been a guy with a ton of power, but this year, eight home runs for Jose Azokar. Cam Gibson, the former MSU Spartan, the Michigan native, five for his last 12, five runs batted in, had a grand slam as well. And off to Toledo, the Mudhens won a pair of games before a six-game road trip. Then they came home to win one out of two against Louisville. The Tigers are finally starting to see some of the guys from that Justin Verlander trade bubble up towards the big leagues, namely Jake Rogers. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on. But Rogers finally called up. We had talked to him on an earlier edition of Road to Detroit. So excited for Jake Rogers to go up to the major leagues. Let's go ahead and save the Jake Rogers stuff for a little bit later on here on the Road to Detroit. That's a look at the on-ramp. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Well, nobody's had their name talked about more. Tarek Skubal, who has virtually come out of nowhere to establish himself as not only a Tigers prospect, but one of the best prospects in the entire organization, comes in ranked number four by the folks at MLB Pipeline. Tarek Skubal, he's a tough one to get. He joins us right now. Tarek, congratulations on a great 2019. One of the things when you came to your first full season assignment in West Michigan, everybody wanted to know about you was... How do you say your name? And thankfully, you're able to tell us pretty quickly, Tarek Skubal. Now, I have to ask, where did the name Tarek come from? Is there any significance to that? I noticed a lot of your siblings also have their first name start with the letter T. Yeah, all of us are with T's. But my mom said, read the name in, like, an article. At least this is the story that I know. My mom read my name in, like, an article about, uh, like, a boy doing something, um, and she just really liked the story, so the name kind of stuck, started with the T. So, I mean, that's just kind of how I got my name. Um, I kind of wish I was like a Trey or a Tyler or a Trent, just because it's easier and no one messes it up. But it's something I've learned to just kind of like, hey, whatever. If it starts with a T and ends with a K, I'm good, but I'll respond. What's this been like for you? Because, yeah, you were considered a prospect at the beginning of the season, but now all of a sudden here we are just mid-season, and you're all the way into the top five. How are you processing all of this? I'm just trying to go out there and compete uh, every time I get the chance, every fifth day or whenever I get to start. Just go out there, compete, and have fun and enjoy the enjoy the game. And just, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just about competing. That's just what I've been trying to do. 
that rotation in Erie, they're not bad, aren't they? Tell me about what it's like watching guys like, and I know Casey Mize has had a tough couple of starts, but you've got a pretty good look at him, Matt Manning, and, you know, now just they're adding to it considering Joey Wentz will be in that rotation, another lefty alongside you, but Logan Shore's there as well. I guess if we could just kind of, you know, go through one by one just what you've seen and what your impressions have been from these guys. We'll start with Casey Mize. What, what's his impact been watching him? Uh, I just kind of watch how he works, his routines, uh, his work ethic, how he takes care of himself. It's all really impressive. It's just the type of guy he is. He's just all about his business and something you can learn from, uh, definitely. Matt Manning. He's extremely gifted out there. He gets really good extension on his fastball and all his pitches, and you just kind of watch how he works on the mound. Uh, Pretty effortless, I think. Um, And it's just something you can learn from, too, how he kind of attacks hitters and uh, keeps him off balance. You know, I know you've only been there for about, what, a month, month and a half now, tops, but you've obviously spent a lot of time in Lakeland with these guys in spring training. What about Alex Fajardo? Yeah, he's a fun guy to be around. Uh, he's a good guy in the clubhouse. And then just watching him kind of go out and compete and attack the zone, it's been fun to watch how he pitches, just kind of pick his brain. And uh, he's really good about understanding hitters, and uh, he kind of, like, tells you little things about teams. It uh, gives you a little bit of extra scouting report on how he attacks hitters and what he thinks hitters' weaknesses are, so it's always good to talk to him about baseball. Now you're at Double A. You started last season. You were quick to West Michigan. Then you ended up starting this year in Lakeland. There was just three games for you in low Class A. Then you go to Lakeland. You do really well there. You end up in Double A Erie. You've gotten a chance to see pretty much all of the highly valued pitching prospects. There's a handful maybe in Toledo you've yet to see, but – what kind of things have you learned? Because they always say that double A, if you can pitch there, you can pitch in the major leagues. But what are the differences that you've noticed since you've gone up to the Eastern League? Hitters are definitely a lot more disciplined. They make you make better pitches. The zone's a little bit tighter. They just make you compete a little bit more. And then obviously there's there's a lot more talent up here too. I mean, I mean not every everybody's better, but our team is also uh, better as well. So our defense is uh, elite. So it's, I mean, you just have a lot of confidence in that, too. When you when you get the ball, like, you can throw a pitch, and if you get put in play, most likely it's going to be an out. Is it true what a lot of pitchers say as they climb the ladder of the minor leagues, that as you go up a few levels, the strike zone does, in fact, start to get a little bit tighter and tighter? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. It gets a little bit more true, which is fine. I mean, you got to attack in the strike zone and let your stuff play over the plates. That Erie team has been unbelievable, especially since you got there. You really don't have to score a lot to win when you guys are putting up the numbers you are, but I know you're facing an opponent, but does it almost feel like you have to hold up your end of the bargain because all these other guys are going out and shoving on a nightly basis? Um, I mean, I think that's just the competitive nature. You see other guys pitch well, and you also want to pitch well, and uh, that's just competing, uh, even within our team, and not even just against the other team, you know, but... Um, our team's really talented, and we're we're playing good baseball right now, so it's, it's fun to be around. What's kind of clicked into gear for that Erie team? I know that you've only seen them so long, but what's the difference now from what they had going in the first half? Uh, it's just really fun to play. Um, every day it's just fun to be at the field, fun to be in the clubhouse, fun to go play. Uh, there's never any stress. I feel like everybody's easy, relaxed, and just kind of being who they are, and, and I think that's how we're winning games. What's it been like playing from Mike Rabello? I believe this is your first experience with Rabs at Double A. Uh, he's awesome. Uh, he's fun. It's fun to be around. He always keeps it easy. 
Uh, you would never like you wouldn't know if we were losing six zero or we were winning six zero. He's the same guy always, which is always nice to have. Uh, when we're down, we never feel like we're out of the game. There's no stress, no pressure put on us. He's just about playing baseball and getting better. Talking to Tarek Skubal, a ninth round pick out of Seattle. You know the Tigers now have you, and you're their number four prospect, depending on where you look. But you know you you were not taken with a very high draft pick. You were still taken in the top ten rounds, and that's a pretty big accomplishment. But a ninth round pick for a guy who's a number four prospect is pretty rare. Why do you think you ended up going to the ninth round? Um, I struggled my uh, redshirt junior year just with command. I kind of was just a little hard on myself, and I wasn't I wasn't just competing and letting myself play over the plate. So that's something that I learned from in college is just. Uh, letting the game come to you and don't try to force things. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I struggled in college, but it was one of the most beneficial years in terms of my career, I think, personally, just learning and um, just trying to compete and stay aggressive. How much of that was trying to fight it mentally versus trying to fight it physically? Because if I remember correctly, you had Tommy John surgery in college. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, physically, I was good to go. Um, everything was there. I think it was more the mental aspect of uh, just being hard on yourself. I mean, first year back pitching in college again, I like, took like a year and a half off. Uh, I expected perfection out of myself. Um, that's a very hard expectation to live up to. So, um, just, I mean, I just had to relax a little bit and just let the game come to me and let just my natural ability and just find my arm stroke and just let it compete in the zone. That's kind of what I learned. It's one thing when you have Tommy John surgery, you end up with a lot of time to think. What do people not understand when it comes to having to rehab from Tommy John surgery? Uh, I think it's just the time away from being on the mound is the hardest part. Um, I got to watch a lot of games and learn a lot of stuff about uh, playing baseball and how I want to pitch. And I would always try to put myself in whoever was on the mound, like saying what I would do to this hitter in this situation and throw this pitch. A lot of it's just getting on the mound and actually throwing. Um, I think when you're coming back, you can't expect yourself to be back from uh, week number one, start number one. I mean, it's a process. And, I mean, by the end of the year, I was kind of back to where I wanted to be. And then once I got drafted and got into pro ball, I felt like I was I was fully back mentally and physically. So now we fast forward here to 2019. Are you surprised by all this crazy success that you've had in 2019? It's been an unbelievable year. The strikeouts are just through the roof right now. I'm sure you always thought you had this in you. When it comes to what you've been able to produce results-wise, I know this has got to be a lot of fun, but is this a surprise at any level? Uh, I mean, yeah, I didn't. I, this was like my goal was to be to, to throw well and compete. But I mean, I would never expect. I mean, I would never expect to be here. But I. I mean, I didn't think that, that this is a surprise to be here in any, in any, by any means. I mean, this is where I want to be. This is where I, I work for. I mean, I'm not going to stop here. I mean, the goal is Detroit. But, yeah, this is something I've been working for. Well, again, congratulations on all the success here in 2019. What a year for you. I don't think it's too much longer until we see you bumped up a level and maybe even another one, and you know where that would lead. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate the time here on the RTD. Yeah, thanks for having me. As another edition of The Road to Detroit continues, by the way, we are on location this week. We're actually coming to you from South Bend, Indiana. That's where the West Michigan Whitecaps of Class A are playing their contest this week. They'll play a four-game series against the South Bend Cubs. We just told you a little bit about that in the on-ramp. The Tigers and Cubs recently made a big trade. 
been a couple of seasons now where the Tigers have spent the trade deadline making deals. Back in 2017, the Tigers traded Justin Verlander to the Houston Astros. They ended up getting Daz Cameron, one of the top prospects in the Astros organization. Franklin Perez, who was a top four prospect for the Astros at the time. And Jake Rogers. And it's been Jake Rogers who has come on the strongest over the course of this season. And for the first time on the Road to Detroit podcast, we get to celebrate a player who received his call to the major leagues. Jake Rogers is now a Detroit Tiger. How cool is that? Congratulations to Jake Rogers. He's a kid that's obviously worked so hard to get there, continuing to learn how to hit, continuing to refine his offensive game. Well, in his first game in the major leagues, he had an RBI single as his first major league hit, and the next day he got another base hit. Only this one went a whole lot farther. Jake Rogers swings it to fly ball, left field, leading on top of the third, way back in left, and gone! Jake Rogers, fifth career at bat, <laughs> home run number one, and the Tigers take a one nothing lead in the third. And how about a debut for our first member of the road to Detroit? We have talked to here on this show to end up in the big leagues, and all he does is get three hits in his first five big league at-bats, Jake Rogers had his whole family out there in Anaheim watching him play, and of course he's able to put on a good show for them. He is considered Major League Baseball's best defensive catcher prospect. And look, you know, even if he doesn't hit as well as you want, he's going to make every pitcher better on that staff. That's the draw for Jake Rogers. He makes everybody better around him. He's so good throwing out runners. He's a good pitch framer. He calls a good game behind the plate. He's just an absolute backstop in every sense of the word. But Jake Rogers, if he can hit even a little bit, becomes such a valuable player. And two games into his big league career, he's showing that he might be able to hit after all. We talked to Jake Rogers on the road to Detroit. It was back on episode two. We covered a lot of bases with Jake Rogers. Here's some of the stuff he had to talk about. I think, uh, you know, people you know that, that watch the game really pay attention, really like to watch and value a good catcher. Everyone uh, always kind of says they come a dime a dozen, but, you know, when you have one back there, it just kind of makes everything go a little more smoothly. So, yeah, I, you know, I think they really do like them, you know, if you pay attention and, you know, like most people uh, really like the value of a good catcher. What a smart young man. And by the way, if you want to catch that entire conversation, just scroll up. Go to Episode 2 of The Road to Detroit, and you can hear our conversation with Jake Rogers before he became a big leaguer. Jake Rogers, congratulations. The first member of our Road to Detroit podcast who got his call up into the major leagues. Congratulations to Jake Rogers, a deserving candidate, and is certainly someone who is going to find a way to help just about every single pitcher wearing that old English D. The road to Detroit continues. Time for best in class. Best in class. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system, this one made the most noise. And we would be remiss if we didn't tip our caps to Jake Rogers. Of course, he'll be one of the winners. We're going to go co-winners here on the road to Detroit. But Jake Rogers is one of our winners of this week's best in class. All he did was get his call to the major leagues. And I know of all the players in the minor league system, this one certainly made the most noise because he made noise at the big league level. Jake Rogers hits a home run in his second game as a big leaguer, had two hits in his first contest. That's as much noise as any Tigers minor leaguer can possibly make. The first of many headed up towards the Detroit Tigers. We mentioned we had a co-winner this week. How about the big tuna? Brad Bass comes home as a co-winner of this week's Best in Class. Hey, big tuna. And you know what? He really deserves it. The 23-year-old 
former member of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, a seventh-round pick back in 2017. How about these numbers? And these are hard to argue against. You're talking about two games over the past week where Brad Bass has gone 14 and two-thirds shutout innings. He struck out 13 in that time, tied his career high with nine strikeouts in a game back on the 22nd in Wisconsin, and then he followed that up by going seven more scoreless frames in a victory against the Great Lakes Loons. That's a Dodgers minor league affiliate. Brad Bass, the big tuna, has been dominant in his last two starts for the West Michigan Whitecaps. Jake Rogers, Brad Bass, your two co-winners of Best in Class. Now it's time for the Honorable Mention Award, sponsored by our good friend Dylan Rosa. I guess I have to take you at your word, (laughs) number two. The Honorable Mention this week is Dylan Rosa. Dylan Rosa this week got a promotion to AA Erie. Congratulations to Dylan Rosa. So he does not win this week's Best in Class Award. However, he does win a trip to the Erie Seawolves. He went out three straight games last week. Rumor has it he listened to this podcast. Then went out and hit three home runs. So a home run in three straight games. He has been outstanding in his last 10. He's hit almost 320 on the season. He's got 10 home runs in 89 games. There has been a need for power in the minor league system. He also can run a little bit. 10 stolen bases this year to go with his 10 home runs. So he certainly hit the ball with some authority this past week. 23-year-old. It was an 18th round pick back in 2017 out of Kent State. We told you a little bit more about Dylan Rosa's story last week in the Road to Detroit podcast. You can go back to episode 10 and catch that conversation. Dylan Rosa now a four-time winner of his own award. Yes, yes, absolutely. Congratulations to Dylan Rosa. The Tigers make two trades at the trade deadline. Within the last hour of the trade deadline, Al Avila even said that one of them came down to the final minute. Seems to be a trend for the Tigers, doesn't it? So the Tigers make two deals, the first of which Shane Green traded to the Atlanta Braves. In return, Detroit ends up with Joey Wentz, a left-handed pitcher, 21-year-old left-hander, the Atlanta Braves' number seven prospect. Joey Wentz was actually taken 40th overall back in 2016, still just 21 years old. Braves actually gave him $3 million, well over slot for the 40th pick of the 2016 draft, was actually the South Atlantic League's most outstanding pitcher in his first full season the following year. But things slowed down. He was bit by the injury bug, an oblique injury, limited him to just 16 starts back in 2018, and he looked a lot better in 2018. 3-4, a 2.28 ERA, limited hard contact really well. In his career, his opponent's batting average against is 219, strikes out just about a batter per inning, if not more so. This year, the numbers have been a little bit underwhelming, 5-8, and eight, a 472 ERA, but most importantly, he's staying healthy, and he's 21 in AA, so there's certainly some time where he could continue to impress in the Eastern League if he ends up as a member of the Erie Seawolves. The other prospect the Tigers received in return, 24-year-old outfielder, and this is a kid who can play all over the diamond, Travis Demerit. Some Actually, some pretty good numbers for him this year. 96 games, 20 homers, 74 runs batted in. He's walked 51 times, so a .286 batting average with almost a 400 on base percentage. This is a guy who was a first-round pick back in 2013. The Texas Rangers made him that. They took him out of high school so he's been in professional baseball for a little while now starting back in 2013 but looks like the tigers may have the ability to bring him up to the major leagues 
almost immediately. It's a guy that was not on a 40-man roster, was available in a few Rule 5 drafts. Tigers did not take him, but clearly they liked him enough to pay attention to what he's done over the course of this past season. For Gwinnett, he's been really good. And just looking at what he's done, over the last four years in the minor leagues, Travis Demerit has averaged 20 home runs a season. He's got 80 bombs in the last four years. He can draw a walk. He can run a little bit. He can play just about anywhere around the diamond. Plays a lot of second base, but he can also fill in at short, third. He's been more in the outfield over the course of the last couple of seasons, but you can move him just about anywhere. So there's a look at what the Tigers got in the Shane Green trade. Now to the Nicholas Castellanos deal. Tigers ended up with a pair of pitchers and a couple of guys who were taken rather high by the Chicago Cubs. 2018, the first pick by the Cubs was Paul Rashawn. A 22-year-old right-hander who played his college ball at San Diego signed for below slot was a second-round pick, but kind of a polish-over-stuffed guy. 86 strikeouts in 93 innings. Everybody raves about the kind of guy he is. People really like Paul Rashawn. By the way, Paul Rashawn actually attended Hart High School. Now, you might not know that name off the top, but that's a school that's produced a ton of major league talent. Get a load of this. Todd Zeal was from hard high so was trevor bauer tyler glasnow mike montgomery james shields all from hard high school in newhall california he'll certainly go after guys he'll challenge people but there's a potential rotation piece there in paul rashawn who again was the cubs's first pick back in 2018 their first pick in 2017 was alex lang LSU Tiger, and obviously the Tigers have a very close relationship with LSU. Paul Maneri, their head coach, was one of the first working associates of Tigers general manager Al Avila. Those two go way back. 23-year-old right-hander played at LSU. Went 30-9 and overall, struck out over 400 batters, second most in school history. Velocity went down a little bit, but a really good curveball. Can go up to about the mid-90s with his fastball, and everybody thinks that this kid does have some talent even though he has struggled here in 2019 had a one and nine record in advanced class a myrtle beach a 736 era but he's dropped that down significantly since going up to double a alex lang did struggle in class advanced a at myrtle beach but the last couple of games he pitched he really started to show some good stuff ended up getting a promotion to double a despite an era around seven and a half he had a couple of really rough starts at the very beginning of the season but after a really rough april get a load of these numbers for alex lang in april lang had an era of 21 he was 0 and 4 but then in may the era goes down to 491 then 277 in june so they clearly saw that he was starting to get it even though the record wasn't what you wanted it to be meanwhile in june he was really good a 225 ERA. ERA and overall he's got an ERA under four in double A and this is a kid who was a first round pick a lot of people like this young man and they thought that he had a ton of talent he's the Cubs number 23 prospect I'd expect him to slot probably somewhere towards the back end of the Tigers top 30 but Alex Lang and Paul Rashawn a couple pitchers acquired by the Tigers in this trade for Nicholas Castellanos there's a recap of the trades the Tigers made at the trade deadline here in 2019 the Road to Detroit podcast continues. Anthony Fennick of the Detroit Free Press joins us. We talk about the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Tigers make not one but two trades. They get the second one in at the buzzer. Shane Green to Atlanta. Nicholas Castellanos to the Chicago Cubs. Anthony Fennick from the Free Press. How are you, my friend? 
Good. Dan, you are a brave, brave man, and I just want to let you know, if I get you in trouble here, you always have a home on the Talking Tigers podcast, okay? Thank goodness. And again, something that we have done a number of times before. So we've got a lot to cover and not a lot of time to do it. So, Anthony, we'll just get right into it. Let's talk about this trade deadline. What were your impressions, and did anything surprise you about how things transpired? I I think the easiest way to put it is the Tigers got about the best they could have gotten with the pieces uh, they had at their disposal. Um, I think it all went down about as expected. Now, look, the four four prospects they got back, none of them are profile of impact kind of guys, um, but it does further boost the minor league system with some depth, especially um, in, in, in the pitching department with, Joey Wentz, who's a, a former first-round guy, left-hander, mid-90s. He's a projectable kind of guy. Um, but again, the Tigers didn't have much flexibility here. Nick Castellanos, he's going into his free agent uh, winter and was essentially the worst kind of rental player, a guy that you know hasn't hit up to his potential this season. There's obviously the defensive questions in the outfield, although, look, the eye test shows Nick has gotten much better uh, in right field. And then, you know, it came down to to Shane Green. And with so many relievers on the market and available, I mean, we saw the flurry uh, in the hour leading up to the deadline. Um, with, With so many relievers available, I think it did kind of tie their hands a little bit with Shane Green. Um, but the, the time was now to move on green. I mean, he, he's got a year and a half remaining, and now he can impact a, a pennant race with the Braves where he's probably going to close. So if they were to hold on to him to the offseason, they weren't going to do that. They, they did that two years ago, and then green has struggled the next season. Um, so, again, it's kind of like when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. They did that. Um, I think the most surprising thing of the deadline was was how the Castellanos trade went down and, and from my vantage point had to be maybe even a top five baseball reporting day for me I was tucked in the corner of the Tigers dugout because look if, if Nick was going to come out on the field with the with the trade deadline at four o'clock eastern we had a one o'clock game in Anaheim and, and Nick comes out and he's in his uniform he's on the lineup card hitting second and you know I, I look away for a minute and he's gone and the next thing you know Jordy Mercer's coming on deck with batting gloves and like, oh, wow, something might be going on. And, of course, it was, uh, as General Manager Al Avila said, about 40, 42 seconds before the deadline, they got a deal done. Um, I think it was in the best interest of both parties. The Tigers weren't going to get anything for Castellanos if they didn't trade him. Castellanos sorely needed a change of scenery uh, just because of the business-related activities over the past year and a half. I think he needed some clarity in that regard. And I think he's going to flourish with the Cubs. You know, and we'll get to the Castellanos deal in just a little bit, but you kind of alluded to this as well. But from the sound of it, nobody wants to trade position players these days. Is it fair to say that position players are just more valuable than pitchers in this climate? I mean, I I think in one sense, but I also think that the name of the game is starting pitching. And pitching is always going to be the, the biggest facet of building a championship team. I just think that, look, if you look between the lines here, I mean, I think we're looking at some of the the economics of baseball in that teams are not going to give up these players who are under team control, 
cost controlled at the major league minimum for six years. I mean, with, with, with the way the game has gone and this really started with the, the, the 2016, when they, they signed the new collective bargaining agreement, just, it, it, it seems like 95% of the league, they're prospect huggers and they're not giving up those controllable guys, position players versus pitchers. I, I think that could be more of a localized, uh, situation because we know that the Tigers are lacking some of those impact offensive players in the minor leagues and they're really really looking to acquire them as the next phase of their their restocking let's say um so I think it has been a little bit frustrating that they haven't been able to acquire those kind of guys but as you know Dan those those kind of players are few and far between and again teams are really going to be hanging on to the, them nowadays and when you look at it outside of Matt Boyd Castellanos and Green were not going to get those kind of prospects. So that's kind of where uh, the Tigers face their biggest challenge at this deadline. Now, I want to get into these trades individually. I can't help but think of two years ago and Justin Wilson being traded. The Tigers got Jamer Candelario, who was the Cubs' number one prospect at the time, but they had just traded some of the guys ranked ahead of Candelario, but Isaac Paredes was sneaking up the ranks. That deal got some highly ranked guys in return, and it also filled a huge need. Then you look at this deal. Give me a gut feeling. What's changed in baseball when it comes to these teams and their high-end prospects? It just feels like many more guys are being held on to a little bit tighter. You know, you do look back on it two years later, and the Tigers really did well for themselves in, the, in that deal. I mean, Jamer Candelario hasn't been necessarily built in great strides off of his, his rookie season, but he's a guy that the Tigers see as part of their future, whether it be at third base or first base. And I think when you look at him, you know, part of the reason why they might play him at first base going forward towards the end of the season is because one day soon, perhaps next year, the year after that, Isaac Paredes is going to come up here and play third base. Um, it, it, it just seems like these prospects, um, and I, I think one thing you, you, you can't discount is, you know, a, a lot of the most elite prospects were, were, were drafted or acquired early in their career, some of them in the, with international signings, and these front offices grow attached to these prospects a little bit, almost like they're part of their family. Like, we've seen this kid come up from A-ball, from the Dominican, you know, Summer League, and all that stuff. So I think that there's there's a little bit of an emotional attachment on it, but I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to dollars and cents. And if you have a guy that's, that could be an impact player, you could be paying him, you know, essentially, I use this word loosely, but peanuts for six years, and you could just get a ton of surplus value from that. Uh, teams aren't going to just sacrifice that for a veteran player or a rental player or just a stopgap um, to perhaps incrementally improve their chance that their, their chances. So, yeah, I think that it, it is interesting again, to look back because the Tigers did well for themselves in that deal. And you don't see many of those deals. I know that the, you know, the Indians, Reds and Padres just made a, a blockbuster, but you don't see many of those deals anymore. And I think the Tigers would uh, be doing backflips if that kind of opportunity presented themselves uh, this past week. You know, I'm really glad you brought up prospect familiarity, especially with guys in your own system, because one in particular trade that was made was fascinating. The Marlins and Diamondbacks swapped high-end prospects. Marlins traded their number five in Zach Gallen for the Diamondbacks' number one in Jazz Chisholm. 
Al Avila spoke on Fox Sports Detroit. He was asked by Matt Shepard about the Tigers and would they make a trade like that. In light of the moves the Tigers made at this deadline, is that any more important to you now than it was before? I don't know if it's more important, but I think the Tigers have afforded themselves some flexibility in opening up the option in doing so. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Joey Wentz, who they just acquired. Well, look, they know that they need to get more offensive prospects, and perhaps they would have preferred uh, another offensive prospect from the Braves. But at the end of the day, they might have taken just the highest upside guy, and Wentz is, moves into their top ten prospects. Um, but it also – what they're doing is creating somewhat of a surplus. So if, you know, in the off season, they eye a prospect like a jazz chisholm or, you know, Jesus Sanchez was just traded from the Rays to the Marlins. If they find that kind of player available, now they have the prospect capital to make that kind of move and not really jeopardize uh, what has really the biggest strength uh, in their, in their organization. So I think it gives them some options in, in, Al spoke with us yesterday on a teleconference and said that's something that they've thought of and could be in their future plans. So it, it, it would be interesting. And, I, and quite frankly, Dan, I'm surprised we don't see more of it. I mean, you know, we got all these prospect lists, Baseball America, Top 30, you know, MLB Pipeline. There's no shortage of these prospect lists, and these teams have, you know, hundreds of players in the minor leagues. It, it, it does surprise me a little bit that, that, that teams don't get creative and try to, you know, find a sleeper or a steal or try to really pull one over on another team in the prospect ranks. You talked about what Matt Boyd could have returned had the Tigers decided to trade him. You know, Zach Greinke was the only really headline pitcher that did get moved at the deadline. What were your thoughts on the return, and was that comparable to what maybe the Tigers could have gotten from Matthew Boyd? I think it went public after the deadline. I was actually sitting outside the clubhouse waiting to see if I could get a glimpse of Nick before he exited the building that that kind of blew my mind um that was a big contract to move a very aggressive move by the astros and i think that you can see maybe some of the uh, the the aftermath of two years ago when the the, the astros traded for justin verlander they kind of doubled down again with with, with Granky. but look I, I don't think it's fair and i do think the diamondbacks did very well um, in that deal, but I don't think it's fair to compare a guy like Grinky to Matt Boyd because look, Grinky is a much more accomplished pitcher. He's a better pitcher. Matt Boyd has, you know, he's got the clear edge in uh, let's say team control. I mean, those three years uh, of cost control remaining—that's what really um, marked his value as one of the attractive chips on the market. So. I don't think it's easy to compare those two because Boyd, to me, is a much more attractive option, even though he's not a, as good of a pitcher as Grinky is. And I think that was the big chasm here between the Tigers and some of the teams that were interested in Boyd is that, look, the Tigers, because of that, that team control and because Matt Boyd has had a breakout year, and he's a pretty darn good pitcher in his own respect. Um, I mean, you just look at the, the strikeout to walks, the, the increase in the swing, swings and misses, and just the overall consistency. I mean, he's become a much better pitcher, and the contending teams that were eyeing him, I don't think his track record or lack thereof had sold them that he was as good as the price the Tigers wanted them to pay. I keep reading people saying, and this isn't necessarily about Matthew Boyd, this is about all guys. 
they'll, hey, you can just as easily trade this guy or this person in the offseason. Do you agree with that, or is it more about trading at the deadline? No, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think you just have so much more immediate impact that is staring you right in the face. And you have, look, you're about, what, two-thirds of the way through the season, and you've got teams that are in the thick of things. You've got teams that are looking to pad their division lead. You also have the, the second wild card spot that can entice teams or perhaps even detract them from making these kind of moves because they're like, okay, well, we only have one. Do we really want to mortgage some of the future for just one baseball game? And, I mean, you watch so many of them. I watch so many of them. The, the variability in, in just one single baseball game is just – impossible to to predict so no i don't i i think if i was a contending team i would lean on the side of aggressiveness and again i'm not the one that's paying the checks or making these decisions but i think it's a little bit easier because you're going to get instant reward when you add this guy to your roster um you're going to boost the fan base and you're really going to send a message that you're going for it and you're going to be acquiring this player at perhaps the most important time of the season um so no i don't think that Trading guys in the offseason is easier because I think that the, the immediate impact these teams are getting is just immense. It's not about winning a trade. It's about winning a World Series. You know, Shane Green traded to the Atlanta Braves. Nick Castellanos traded to the Chicago Cubs. You know, you've done these send-off interviews before. Is it as awkward as people say it is? No, it's not awkward. And actually, it's a, it's a cool moment. I mean, this started – two years ago with, with, with J.D. Martinez, I mean, you get to know these guys. And, you know, we, we, you know, all of us as reporters, we don't – we have different relationships with every guy, and we get, we, we get closer with some guys than others. It's just, it's just a natural thing. But I guess, you know, from my perspective, in, in, in the case of Nick and Shane, those guys are two of the final three guys that have been in this clubhouse since I took over the beat in 2015. And – <laughs> In a weird way, it's almost a proud moment. I mean, look, we know where the Tigers are at right now, and you're happy for these guys. You're happy for Nick to go play in a pennant race. You're happy for Green to go close meaningful games. And, you know, I I think something that gets lost, um, let's say, inside the clubhouse is that there are ups and downs. You do go, you know, you do get in tips with these guys over something you write or something you ask. And, but that makes the relationship stronger. I've actually looked, you know, I, I've grown to really appreciate those moments because it, it, it's also cool, too, because you know as well as I do, there's a cardinal rule of journalism is no rooting in the press box. But, you know, when, when Nick Castellanos is going to be at the plate against the Cardinals and the bottom of the ninth inning at Wrigley Field in the tie game, yeah, you're absolutely rooting for one for him to rip one into the bleachers. And it, it, it's cool. And then, you know, on, on another level, you know, you'll see them down the road um, and it, it, it makes you it makes you proud that they're getting out of here and then the kind of relationship you build with them. Well, good stuff, Anthony. You know, it's only awkward when your recorder bombs out 30 seconds into your conversation. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what, Dan? I wanted to, I, I just wanted to sneak this in here. I, I, I think Shane Green has really – he's really impressed me over this last year. I mean, this guy has really yep. matured into a team leader. Um, he's a guy that – Ron Gardenhire counts on in any situation. I mean, you, you don't know how many times you'll see a struggling pitcher, a, a guy that's been shoveled back and forth to Toledo have a rough day, and, and you'll be in that clubhouse, and Shane Green is sitting there talking with him. Uh, he is taking great strides as a leader, and that's going to be a big blow for this clubhouse going forward the rest of the season because there's a lot of young guys in there. But he, he is 
blown. He, he's really blown me away with the strides he's taken. You're right. I, I think Shane Green brought a lot more than people realized into that clubhouse. You can find Anthony Fennick on Twitter at Anthony Fennick. Anthony, can't thank you enough. You're a must-follow on Twitter. Thanks so much for the time. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Dan, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. This edition of Road to Detroit rolls along. It's now time for the road ahead. Let's check in on Connecticut. They'll be busy with Batavia in a three-game series this weekend. Then they come home to take on the Aberdeen Ironbirds. By the way, that Aberdeen team is the team that currently has the number one overall pick in this year's draft. Adley Rutschman currently playing for them, an Orioles farmhand. The West Michigan Whitecaps take on Fort Wayne in a four-game series, and they close out on the road before returning home for a three-game set against the Bowling Green Hot Rods. That is a team that also had the number one prospect in the game in Wander Franco before they ended up promoting him up into Class A Port Charlotte. Meanwhile, Erie starts a three-game home set against New Hampshire on Saturday before they hit the road to take on Portland. That would be the Beavers, in case you're wondering. Meanwhile, Toledo starts a three-game series at Louisville on Saturday before they're home for three against the Buffalo Bison. So that is a look at what the teams have on hand. Obviously, we'll keep a close eye on all those great pitchers in Erie. Meanwhile, we'll also focus on some of those new players acquired by the Tigers in these trades. Alex Lang, the former first-round pick. Paul Rashan, the first pick of the Cubs back in 2018. Those two arms acquired in the Nicholas Castellanos trade with the Chicago Cubs. We'll have to see where the Tigers assign those two particular players. And Joey Wentz, the number seven prospect from the Atlanta Braves, who was acquired as the headliner of the Shane Green trade. Joey Wentz was also playing in double-A. There's really not a whole lot of room in the pitching staff right now for the Erie Seawolves. So we'll have to see exactly where the Tigers have slotted in. And now with a couple of guys that could go to double-A, you almost wonder if a couple of those double-A arms have maybe, just maybe, earned a ticket up into triple-A Toledo. Paul Rashan, who was the number 16 Cubs prospect, he was playing at Class Advanced A. He was in the Carolina League. More than likely, we'll see him either go to Lakeland or double-A Erie. Just depends on which team has room at this point. And as for Alex Lang, he started the season in the Carolina League. He really struggled. He had a 7.36 ERA, went 1-9, and nine, but the numbers have actually gotten pretty good since he's gone to double-A. 2-3, and three, a 3.92 earned run average. He has struck out 28 in 39 innings. So you could see Erie potentially Lakeland, but I would have to guess that Alex Lang, who was a first-round pick from LSU, will probably end up going to the Erie Seawolves. Meanwhile, Travis Demerit was one of the players acquired from the Atlanta Braves in that Shane Green trade. Al Avila was talking to Fox Sports Detroit, and he was saying that Demerit could join the Tigers immediately. Thought he was ready for the big leagues right now. So Demerit could certainly end up right with the Tigers, and that's something the Tigers wanted. They wanted a bat that was ready to go to the big leagues immediately. So if Travis Demerit goes to Detroit, he would certainly have checked that box. Well, that'll do it for The Road Ahead. When it comes to this podcast, The Road to Detroit appreciates what you guys do. But even better, it's so vital for the minor league system to have a voice, to have a chance to catch you up on everything that goes on from the week that was, the week ahead. We look into trades. We look into draft picks. We do it all, but we can't do it without your help. A big way you can help us is by clicking subscribe. Finding us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, whichever way you access this show, Click subscribe, make sure you don't miss another episode, and that way we can continue to bring you the latest and greatest from all the players on the road to Detroit. I mean, heck, we got to celebrate a guy like Jake Rogers this week. 
going up to the major leagues. And this is the first of many that we'll have on this show that end up going into the big leagues. But a chance to get familiar with these guys right now, it's something that is special to the Tigers and something that not every team in Major League Baseball, honestly, is doing even in the slightest. So this is our opportunity to give these guys a platform. This is one of the fun things that we get a chance to do over the course of a year. And as long as you enjoy it, click subscribe, make sure you don't miss an episode, and make sure you tell us that you like what we're doing. So again, click subscribe, and that'll do it for this edition of The Road to Detroit. Appreciate everyone who makes these podcasts go. Appreciate Tarek Skubel for joining us, the Tigers' number four prospect from the Erie Seawolves. What a year it's been for Tarek Skubel. Can't wait to see what he does the rest of the way. Meanwhile, also a shout-out to Anthony Fennick of the Detroit Free Press. We had a couple of trades to talk about with Shane Green and Nicholas Castellanos to the Braves and Cubs, respectively. Obviously, won't have too many of those left to talk about, but we do have some new faces on our upcoming editions of The Road to Detroit. Coming up next week, hopefully we'll learn a little bit about some of these new guys that were acquired by the Tigers a little bit further as we look into the newest players on the Tigers' top 30 prospects. We assume we'll probably see a couple of guys now added to the Tigers' prospect rankings, and we'll certainly have all the latest and help us learn a little bit about these guys going forward. Hope you enjoyed this one. That wraps up this RTD. For our producer, Nate Wangler, I'm Dan Hasty. We'll talk to you next week. See ya!